Hello, bonjour, hello, hey, hiya, and previet hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck podcast. The show where two blokes from Blighty talk about everything to do with European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. From the Russian KHL to the Swedish Hockey League, the Finnish Liga to the Swiss National League, the British Elite League to the Alps Hockey League, we talk about anything and everything European hockey. Catch our podcast every Friday from August the 28th, however you get your podcasts, and on the Europuck Podcast YouTube channel. The Europuck Podcast, giving you guys European hockey. The show where two Brits talk all things Boston Bruins as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. I am Oddman Rush, and joining me once again, of course, is Chris Gadsby. Hey, Chris. Hello, 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 hello. How's it going? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not, uh, not really done that much. I got bitten by an ant. Oh, oh, how exciting! <laughs> I was. The the sunflowers in the garden have, have grown quite tall and the original stakes, they had all fallen flat on the faces. So I was putting them back in and then I felt this searing pain and there was an ant that had bitten my thumb. Oh, ouch. Like, is it like inflamed at all or anything? Like, is it okay? Uh, it was. It stopped hurting now, so. Well, that's good. That's helpful. I mean, <laughs> I mean, see, Chris, your life isn't an easy one. You're getting war wounds. You're having to like adapt to everything on the fly. You're, you're building your house, you're editing your house, doing whatever you need to to kind of to make it, sp- uh, what, tip-top or whatever you want to call it. And then <laughs> and then you get yourself a war wound, you know? You deserve a Medal of Honor, Chris, you know? <laughs> <laughs> to top it all off, I have to talk to you. Oh, you poor, poor man. <laughs> However will you cope. Um, so today is Sunday the 23rd of August. We're almost at the end of August, Chris. How fast is this month going? Oh my uh, word! Yeah, I, I just the whole year has just disappeared. Uh, I only I, mentioning this the other day. I was just, where is August? I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, like, I I saw somebody had posted something on like Twitter a couple of days ago. It's like we're almost ten ten days away from September. Like, where is twenty twenty gone? It's kind of like all the bad things have happened in twenty twenty, so we've kind of repressed it all. And then obviously, while we've been repressing it, the month the year has just like flown by. And yeah, what? I mean, it only it only feels like maybe a month or so ago that I was taking a bit of time off this to move house, and yet I've been in the house nine months now. That's ridiculous. The, the, the fact that you have been in your house for nine months now absolutely shocks me. Because, like, we obviously, we've made jokes about it every week. You're like, oh, I'm busy doing this, or, oh, this has <laughs> happened, and that's happened. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. But now we've got, like, nine months of those intros for this podcast, yep. like, every week again and again it's like nine months wow but anyway let's talk some boston bruins hockey shall we so on the ice things have been very very good for the boston bruins over the last week um i i think everybody would be quite happy with the performance they've been giving um the long story short they've made it to the second round 
Um, they're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round. Um, Chris and I were a bit confused, I think, last episode in terms of who they would be playing if they made it through to the second round. We forgot that they, the teams would be reseeded when they started the second round. So uh, we were thinking it was either going to be the Washington or the Islanders, the winner of that series, didn't we? But then, Yeah, it's because that's how it was on the bracket. And of course, that's yeah. how it is like every other year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they've decided to reseed the teams for the next round of the playoffs. So we're actually playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, which that's going to be a fun series. Obviously, it starts later tonight. We're recording this before game one. So we're going to basically sum up the uh, the first round and talk a little bit about the upcoming round and how exciting it's going to be. But before we do that, I just wanted to give a bit of an update on Boston Bruins netminder Tuka Rask. Now, obviously, we talked about this a lot last week. Uh, we announced that he had uh, uh, opted out of the Bruins roster and left the bubble um, in order to go and spend time with his family. And we talked about some of the uh, responses that had been uh, given by Bruins fans and members of the media and kind of their thoughts on it and kind of how everybody was like oh it's disgusting like you he shouldn't have left the bubble he should have either never opted in in the first place now i presented the possibility and i'm this is a full i told you so i'm go i'm going for it like you know i i told you so there there was obviously i i presented the opinion last week that how do you guys not know perhaps something has happened while he's been in the bubble and it's a bit of an emergency or something's happened with his family or his young kid and he's had to leave the bubble because it's not something that was planned for or something that could have been dealt with before he entered the bubble. So I was right, basically, and I told you so. So all of you bloody Boston Bruins fans that sat there and said he's a, he's a scummy teammate and said that he's terrible and he doesn't deserve to play for the black and gold, like, shut up, is essentially what I'm saying in, in this, in this uh, section. So it was announced um, that Tukarask reportedly told a um, radio host, uh, WEEI's Greg Hill, why he opted out of the NHL playoffs. And the quote that Greg Hill gave was, I can tell you that he got a phone call in the bubble from his wife because there was a medical emergency with their daughter. So I've got a bit of an article here. I'll just read out a little bit of it. Um, and then Chris, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, so obviously Rask opted out of the uh, Bruins roster and opted out of the bubble on August 15th. So about a week ago, um, and he released that statement. I want to be with my teammates competing, but at this moment, there are things more important than hockey, and that's being with my family. Uh, he opted out prior to game three, and Halak came in and had a really solid game for the Bruins. Um, following the announcement, Boston general manager Don Sweeney told reporters that Rask's family was, quote, safe and healthy. Yet according to WEEI's The Greg Hill Show, a reported conversation with Rask appeared to shed more light on the circumstances of his decision. Um, and he said, quote, he is concerned right now with not being a further distraction for his team, which is in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Hill said of his talk with Rask. He would prefer not to be the story and be something those guys are asked about repeatedly as they try to win a Stanley Cup. I can tell you that he got a phone call in the bubble from his wife because there was a medical emergency with their daughter. Basically, the kind of situation where I, where I believe Tuka Rask did what every parent would do and was obviously very concerned. It was suggested they seek medical help. Without revealing what that was, because I think I probably should leave that to him, which he should, uh, he did tell me as a father of two kids, I would be panicked and alarmed upon hearing that about a young kid. So Tuka Rask did tell Greg Hill what had gone down. He did tell him, but obviously Greg Hill being... Uh, somebody with some integrity has been like it's not my story to tell i'm not gonna put it out there because it's it's his news to talk about um but and he says if i'd found that out about my own kid then i would have been alarmed as well and i probably would have done the exact same thing so chris when you hear about this and the conversation that we had last week and the response that the boston bruins fan base some 
some very understanding of what happened, some really not so much. What are your thoughts about this and kind of what people should take from their initial sort of response to when they heard the news initially? Well, there is, as we have mentioned before, a life outside of hockey. Yes. Um, And yes, he has... Okay, so what he's effectively done is left his job temporarily because of a family emergency. Yeah. Which happens probably every day somewhere around the world. Yep. So why is this any different? Uh, I think the fact that it's different, Chris, is because he's the starting netminder of the Boston Bruins, and they're about to play game three against the Carolina Hurricanes, and he, he's in the bubble, so he's committed there. Like I would imagine that's what some people would say. <laughs> yeah, but that my my point is is that is just because he's he's playing a sport, that's no different to somebody leaving whilst they're trying whilst they're in the process of trying to get a new contract for their company because of a family emergency it's just a yep. different career yeah i, it, I completely agree. so i think if they put themselves in the same situation and went okay what if i'm at work and i get told my daughter has a medical emergency am i just going to stay somewhere else in the country or in this case you know a a different country and just let it play out no you'll go home yeah exactly and i i think people need to remember it's a young baby as well like i believe i'm not entirely sure on this but as far as i'm aware tukarask is a first time dad as well like Uh, he's got two i think from what i saw oh, oh does he okay okay fair enough so he he knows he's had some experience with raising kids then but you you never know if his other kids had had quote medical emergencies like this one had so this might be a completely alien experience to him and as some as a parent with a young kid i don't have one personally but i can only imagine that something hearing something like that if your wife or your partner calls you while you're in the bubble getting ready for game three and being like we've got a real problem here something's going on here like uh, our daughter's got a medical emergency you're gonna freak out and the first thing you're gonna think is i need to go home i need to go home and take care of this like family comes first whether you're getting paid a million dollars in the nhl or 10 million dollars family always comes first and like i i think a lot some some of the argument that people have made is oh well they're using this as an excuse he didn't want to be there because of his comments about how the games aren't the same and it feels more like an exhibition game he hadn't actually played that well in the bubble so like oh this is just using it as an excuse like in my opinion shame on you Shame on you for saying that that Tukarask is using a family medical emergency as an excuse to leave the bubble because he doesn't want to be there. Like, I I think he's definitely the sort of guy that would want to be there if he could. Yeah, his comments about it being in, like, the bubble and the exhibition game and stuff, they aren't the best comments, but... He, he's saying what a lot of players are thinking. It doesn't feel like a playoff game. On the ice, it, 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 that could be different, yeah, but... I mean, talk, talk about the difference between, a, like we've mentioned it within the bubble and things before, Chris, like a fight happening. A fight feels so much different if it's in the bubble to when it's not, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything is different. There's no, yeah, as you said, I mean, the, the comments, okay, they're not necessarily the best, but it is a different situation. Yeah. I mean, these these players haven't played games in front of nobody probably yeah. ever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even even in the third tier of British ice hockey here, we have fans. Yes, okay, we get forty or fifty, but 
you still get fans in. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. obviously there's like the medical trainers and sort of members of the team, but like you can't really consider them like fans in attendance, can you? So whilst there are some people watching, it's like these aren't people that have paid to be there or that are there supporting the team. They're there because it's their job, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, I, I think this is a, a, a situation that I think everybody just needs to kind of move past. Tukarask seems happy. He's with his family. By the sounds of it, everything's going okay from both his, his uh, kids' perspective. The medical emergency seems to have been resolved or it's uh, being resolved. Tukarask is happy with his family. The Bruins are playing well. Like, this is kind of a great situation for everybody. Like, everybody's happy at this point, because the last thing you'd want to do is for Tukaras to stay in the bubble, and he'd, he'd be off his game. Like, th the game comes absolutely second to him at this point, and we've mentioned this over the last, this episode and the last episode, like, he's got other priorities to think about, like, come on, guys, like, give him a break. I know he's paid millions of dollars to be there. If he was asked to give up his the money that he'd make while he was in the bubble, if he had the chance to go and see his daughter when it was a medical emergency, he'd do it in a heartbeat just like most parents would. The money isn't what they're there for. They're there to win the Stanley Cup. So, because obviously they've made most of their money during the regular season anyway. Like, they've pretty much got their paycheck this year. It's, it's more of a case of they're going into the bubble because they want the chance to win the Stanley Cup, whether it's in uh, unique circumstances or not. But anyway, speaking of going to win the Stanley Cup and trying to get some wins on the board, the Boston Bruins did just that in the later half of the series between the Carolina Hurricanes, didn't they, Chris? So game yep, they did. four, game four of the series, because last episode we finished off with uh, Boston taking a two to one lead in the series. Obviously, the most recent game we talked about was Yaroslav Halak coming in in game three, pretty much hours before, several hours before um, the game started because Rask left, uh, announced that he was leaving the bubble. He comes in, allows one goal and plays really well for the most part. Um, Chris, do you want to take us through game four of the series and uh, we can have a little chat about how the resilience of the Boston Bruins yeah, so game four kind of went the way of bad, bad, getting worse, getting worse. Oh my God, what have Boston just done? <laughs> so, so we'll start in the first period, just the one goal, and it went the way of the Hurricanes. Justin Williams, his first of the playoffs at 9-17, and that was it in the first period. In the second period, Jordan Martinuk, his second goal at 12-08, so at the end of two periods, Boston find themselves 2-0 down, and then eventually they wake up. So in the third period, now these are quite quick fires, so stay with me on this one. <laughs> Jake DeBrusque at 7.26, Connor Clifton at 10.10, Brad Marchand at 11.40, and Jake DeBrusque again at 14.17. Inside seven minutes, Boston score four goals to take a 4-2 lead. And then right near the end of the period, uh, Tuvo Teravainen, uh, with just under 90 seconds to go, pulls one back and makes it 4-3. But Boston take it with uh, a four-goal-to-three victory. Not much in the way of penalties, actually. It was quite a physical game, but not much in the way of penalties. Uh, I accidentally clicked the video. There we go. Right. <laughs> It was just all of a sudden the screen went black and it said video. I was like, no, I'm not watching the highlights now. <laughs> uh, only the one penalty for Boston, and it was Jack Studnicka, a slashing penalty in the first period, but they killed that off as well. Shots on goal, 6-7 in favour of Carolina in the first, 11-10 in favour of Boston in the second. Then the third is where it really gets interesting. So they were tied at 17 shots apiece 
at the end of the second period. In the third period, Boston had 16 shots on goal. Carolina had two. Wow. That was the third period domination that the Bruins had there in order to give themselves a 3-1 lead in the series. The three stars of the game, the top two belonged to Boston. Jake DeBrusque with his two-goal performance and Connor Clifton as well. In terms of Halak, he uh, only conceded, well, he conceded the three goals, 16 from 19, so 0.842. So not great in terms of the save percentage, but that's because the shots he faced were kind of so low there. Boston did a really good job of keeping Carolina uh, away from the net. Uh, The rest of the stats, as I said, 33 shots to 19. Great performance there from Boston. Uh, 48% face-off percentage. I think that's the first game that Boston have not been up on the face-off percentage in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Zero for three on the power play, but they were one for one on the penalty kill. A physical game, pretty even as well. 36 hits for Boston, 37 for Carolina. Uh, 18 blocks for Carolina and 15 for Boston. So total shots is 51 for Boston and 34 for Carolina. They had 11 giveaways and uh, the Bruins only had, yeah, they had 11 giveaways and only three takeaways. They didn't Again, they didn't take the puck much off Carolina, but what they did do is a great job of stopping them from getting a lot of shots onto Halak. So the Bruins, after a great third period and four goals in the space of seven minutes, go 3-1 up in the series. Now, I feel like I feel like this game is kind of a double-edged sword in terms of how I feel about it, because on the one hand, you can be like, oh, well, the Bruins... Like, they played a decent game in the first two periods, but it wasn't good enough to beat the Hurricanes. Then they kind of just explode out of the gate in the third period. It's kind of like, oh, you kind of need to play more of a 60-minute game here, Boston. However, the, the way I kind of see it more is, like you mentioned with the shots on goal and everything, they were equal to Carolina. It was very much a, an even game for the first two periods, except for the fact that Halak allowed a couple of goals now Yaroslav Halak wasn't the best in this game he obviously had a really good game three game four wasn't his game you could tell obviously he'd allowed what three goals on 19 19. shots so so wasn't his finest performance he obviously wasn't facing many shots and as a goaltender it's really difficult to go large periods of time without facing a shot because then you get out of your rhythm I mean James Reimer for example who was in the net for uh, the Carolina Hurricanes in this game interesting that the um the Hurricanes decided to go with Reimer because they've been going with Peter Morazic for most of the series. But they probably thought, you know, we're down 2-1 in the series. Reimer's played just as well um, in the earlier rounds and in the sort of uh, uh, in training camp. He had a pretty good training camp for them. So let's give him a chance, see, see if he can get the job done. And for the first two periods, he did really good. Then I, I feel like he had a flashback to his Toronto Maple Leafs days where he allowed four goals in the third period and they lost the game. So not not the finest work from Reimer in the... Um, in the uh, uh, third period you you can make the argument that essentially the boston bruins were just peppering Ryman with shots and the floodgates were gonna were bound to open at some point uh given the fact that they like chris mentioned scored four goals in seven minutes like i mean they went from en- entering the third period with a two two nothing deficit to being up four two <laughs> like with five minutes left in the game like that that's that's crazy that's such a good performance and i've I- seen it time and time it. again though i've in in games that I, I've commentated on over here in the UK, where it's it's evenly matched, and then something just 
happens with either the the offense or or the netminder or some something just happens and i've seen tight games where it's it's kind of 2-1 with say 10 minutes to go and then by the end of the game it's been 6-7-2 yeah. because it all of a sudden the goal seems twice as wide for for mm. the attacking team and every <clears throat> shot they have just goes in and I, I've seen it a lot in the games that I've covered over the over the last few years. Yes, it's kind of like, it's always a constant like momentum balance and a power balance between the two teams. And obviously the, the war was essentially, if you want to call it that, the war was being won by the Carolina Hurricanes in the first two periods. It was very evenly matched, but they'd managed to get the puck in the net twice. And you can kind of, from a Bruins perspective, it could probably be quite frustrating to see that you're putting in the effort. You're basically evenly matched with this team in a lot of the stats. Like the shots on goal were equal after two periods. Face-off percentage, yeah, it favoured Carolina, but not as much as it's favoured Boston in some of these other games, perhaps. Uh, both teams, their penalty kills are perfect, so there's no ground being gained on the specialty teams. Um, the hits are super equal, the blocks are equal, the giveaways are pretty equal. The takeaways for the Bruins in this game were really bad again, so the good thing is that didn't uh, didn't cost them the game, but that could be a big reason as to why they went 2 nothing down in the first place. Um, however, like... They managed to find their form. You could see how frustrating frustrating that could be to be doing so well and doing all the intangibles right, but you're just going up against a goaltender that's stopping shot after shot after shot. And like we've said over some of these games, Chris, sometimes it just takes one to go through and then the team finds their rhythm. I mean, Jake DeBrus scores his second of the playoffs. He gets his third in the playoffs this game as well. So he manages to kind of shake shake the monkey off his back a little bit, get a goal in this series, a key goal as well to cut the the deficit in half. He then scores the the game winning goal, so that's really important. The fact that he he started the scoring and he ended the scoring. He's been a guy we've talked about like all season, being a guy that when he's on his game he plays really well, but he's just a little bit too inconsistent on the scoreboard at this moment in time. But he's still a young guy; he has time to to figure that out. Getting some uh, production from Connor Clifton, I think, helps. He got two points on the game. He helped get the uh, the first goal for the Bruins and the game-tying goal for the Bruins. He scored that one, so that's a really important goal for him. And then Brad Marchand and Tori Krug, some of the more experienced guys on the roster, coming in and getting the job done. So, Chris, when you see this game, you see the fact that it, it took them a little bit, a little while to, to get themselves on the board. They won the game, which is the most important thing. It doesn't matter how they do it, they won the game. How how after this game were you feeling when you saw that the Bruins had taken a three to one lead in the series in this fashion? Yeah, I mean, I was just, I'm just looking at, at the play by play between that first goal and the fourth goal. Carolina only had one shot that went wow. through to Halak, so that just shows kind of the, the domination that the Bruins had. I mean, naturally, I mean, a lot of the the games, as in the some of them are more our time friendly now, but a lot of them happen at like 1 a.m. Yeah. So what tends to happen is I wake up in the morning and my phone goes, oh, Boston have won. Yeah, yeah. And I go, oh, great. And it's only then when I look into it do I go, oh, okay, it was like that, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it, it was it was good. I, I it's, To go from the depths, I mean, they really turned it on. You know, they were 2-0 down with 20 minutes to go. Mm. But there was they were still 2-0 down with what 13 minutes to go. Yeah. To then score four goals that quickly, you know, they, they something must have just clicked. They must just have really turned it on. And 
it does kind of send a bit of a message to other teams that they could, it almost feels like they could do that, excuse me, do that at any point. Yeah, absolutely. If, if they need to. So you've really, I think we mentioned it back in the regular season as well about how important it is if you're going to beat this Boston side to put them away really early. Yeah. Because as we've seen here, two goals midway through the third period still isn't enough. No, exactly. And I, I think... Uh, that kind of leads on to the final uh, point or two that I want to mention about this game. First of all, um, the fact that it just goes to show how experienced this Bruins team is and how they know they know what they have to do to win key games. Because, I mean, we saw them go to the Stanley Cup finals last year, you know? like They're, they're a team that knows what they need to do. They know that it isn't a series isn't decided by just one play. You need to kind of... It's a full six. You've got sixty minutes every game to to put in a performance, and yeah, the the first two periods didn't quite go their way, but the third period they managed to to find their form or managed to to get a bit of puck luck, whatever it is, the puck bounced their way, or they managed to get a good break, or they managed to get in a good position, whatever it is. Now, some people might argue, oh, but the Carolina Hurricanes are also quite an experienced playoff team. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, where they played the Bruins and then got swept. That is a fair point to to add, I will say. However, I think it is important to mention that they made a lot of acquisitions at the trade deadline. Um, they added guys like um, they added guys like who's it? Uh, Brady Shea. They added Sammy Vatanen. They added Vincent Trocek. Like they they picked up some like a top six forward and two top four defensemen. Uh, pretty much for the trade deadline. And those guys, for the most part, Trocek's played in the playoffs a bit, but for the most part, those guys haven't really had deep playoff runs so they're quite they're still relatively inexperienced when it comes to the playoffs so whilst the main roster is or, or whilst most of the team made it to the eastern conference finals last year there's some pretty key pieces on that roster that didn't make it to the eastern conference finals last year or didn't even make the playoffs last year or haven't made the playoffs for several years so i i feel like that might be a bit of a deciding factor with it as well. It just goes to show you that like, you can bring in the best regular season players or who have played well in the regular season year after year, but it goes to show you that like playoff experience is something. It is something that adds to this. And what more what more experienced team is there left in the playoffs now than the Boston Bruins in the playoffs? So, And the last thing I wanted to add, um, David Parsnack wasn't playing in this game either. He'd been out for games two, three, and four, I'm pretty sure. And in that span, um, the Bruins went two and one. So that's a, when your star player, your your top point scoring guy, your joint Rocket Richard winner is out of the lineup and you're still able to beat a very deep team like the Carolina Hurricanes. That's a pretty good performance if you ask me. So let's move on to the final game of this first round series, which went in Boston's favour once again. Obviously, they were up 3-1 in the series for this final game on Wednesday against the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Bruins were the home team again for this. So they lost one game as the home team. They won both games as the away team. They go back as the home team, wanting to get a 2-1 record when they are the home team. Chris, do you want to take us through game five and let us know how it went? Yeah, we'll go through game five. So once again in the first period, Boston find themselves behind. Hayden Flurry this time at 9.35, giving the Carolina Hurricanes a 1-0 lead, and they carried that into the first intermission. Then we say, hello, Boston power play. <laughs> Second period. And this was late as well. We're into the final five minutes of the second period. And of course, David Pasternak back into the side. Has he lost his touch? Of course he hasn't. Of course not. <laughs> so second period on the power play to tie the game up. David Kreischi assisted by Pasternak and Bergeron at 15-20. Thank you very much to... Let's have a look. 
Uh, Sebastian Aho for hooking Bergeron for that first one. Ah. And then a thank you again to Jordan Martinuk for roughing Andre Kasher because with four seconds to go of that second period, it was Patrice Bergeron's turn this time on that power play line to score the goal, again assisted by Pasternak and assisted by Kreischer. So the same three players, just in a slightly different order, giving Boston a 2-1 lead at the end of the second period. And they hung on, no goals in the third period at all, and they win by 2-1 and progress. The penalties, Charlie McAvoy in the first, David Pasternak in the second, and Joachim Nordstrom in the third, but uh, three for three on the penalty kill, the Bruins there. Shots on goal, uh, 9 to 8 in favour of Boston in the first, 13 to 10 in favour of Boston in the second, and 6 to 5 in favour of Carolina in the third, 27 24 in Boston's favour in terms of the shots on goal. They sweep the board of the three stars of the game. No surprise, really. It's Bergeron, Kreischer and Pasternak. (laughs) No real surprise uh, with that. Uh, So total shots on goal, 27-24, but blocks was 17 for Boston and only 10 for Carolina. So it actually totaled 37 to Boston and 41 to Carolina. The face-offs again, Boston falling flat, 47% to 54%. Obviously, they round to the nearest percentage on the NHL website, so that's why there's that disparity. Yeah. Three for three on the penalty kill, two for four on the power play. Good power play night for the Bruins. 27 hits to 33 uh, in favour of the Hurricanes there. Boston with 10 giveaways and seven takeaways, two teams tied on takeaways. Finally, we'll go down to Halak, who had another good game. Uh, 23 saves from 24 shots for 0.958 save percentage. Boston take the game by two goals to one and the series by four games to one. I mean, this game is just the perfect example of when the chips are down, your star players, your experienced guys, they step up. If you are a team that wants to go deep into the playoffs, you have to have those guys with that clutch factor. I know there's a lot of talk about the clutch gene or the clutch factor in in all sorts of sports and like whether it's actually a thing or not. I feel like it is in an example like this. Now, David Pasternak, he's out of the lineup for three straight games. The last time he'd played was in game one against Carolina. He comes in, gets two primary assists. Not secondary assists, primary assists. He gets the two primary assists on the game tying and the game winning goal. And the two goal scorers are guys that have been with the team for the last decade. They're guys that won a Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins. They're guys that have been to two other Stanley Cup finals with the Bruins. David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron. So once again, it goes to show you that having youth and having that injection of younger younger players, younger faster players is important. But if you've got those guys that know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, that knows what it takes to go on a deep playoff run, and they are experienced in that, and they know how to play this style of hockey deep into the postseason, obviously this is the first round, but we're playing in August. I'd say it's deep into the postseason, if you ask me. And you get a clutch performance by Krejci and Bergeron. But I I think you've got to say the biggest star of this entire first series is Yaroslav Halak, in my opinion. His game four wasn't great like we just mentioned, but games three and five, he absolutely stood on his head for this team. I mean, he allowed how many goals? He allowed uh, five goals in three games. That's impressive for the playoffs. And I mean, he had two games where he allowed just one goal in every in each of those games. Considering Tuka Rask, obviously with all the stuff that was going on for him, Tuka Rask allowed three goals in both of his games against Carolina. 
and then you get uh, you get Halak with one goal uh, allowed in the in game three, three goals allowed in game four, and then one goal allowed in game five. So, Chris, when what do you think about this game? Did you would you say now that this now that the season between these two teams is over, would you say Yaroslav Halak is kind of the hero of the series? Would you say that David Pasternak coming back was was the big factor to help them get the win? Do you think it's Bergeron with two game winning goals in this series, which is quite important? Because he obviously got the game uh, the game winning goal, I think, in game one when it was the double overtime game. Uh, yeah, he got yeah he got the um he got the game winner in that one. So he got the game winner in their first win of the series and their final win of the series. What are your thoughts, Chris? Um, I think it's Halak to be honest. I think yeah, Pasternak coming back was obviously a boost, and he had the primary assist on the, on the two goals in that game. But they'd already won games without him. They'd won two games without him anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think Halak coming in, as you said, allowing what five goals in three games in the playoffs, I think is big. And I think this is this presents a, a really strong opportunity for Halak here to really cement himself as a kind of a key player. Yeah. And I think that you know, yes, we've discussing length and Rascal's right to go and all the rest of it, but he has the opportunity here to send Boston deep into the playoffs, potentially even win a cup and then go for the, I mean, we know he took, he even took a cut, but then they potentially may look and go, okay, Halak is in there. Maybe we look at Rask and somebody else, but you know, that that's a long way off. But I think in this, in this first series, I, I think Rask was, uh, sorry, um, Halak was a key factor in that just from being solid in the net um, particularly in that um, third, uh, sorry, in game four as well, and they only allowed two shots on him in the final period. I think everybody kind of played a part. Um, but if I had to put a finger on a player, I, I probably would say Halak. Definitely, and I think this is where hindsight is always wonderful, and kind of it sucks that you don't have it in that moment. Because I mean, if if Halak plays, he's the starting netminder for this team now. So if if Halak has a really good postseason, like you say, potentially even wins a cup for the team. If I was Halag, I would be asking to renegotiate that one-year extension that I just picked up because, I mean, if, if you're going to go into this go into this uh, playoffs, into the bubble, and you've you've surprised everybody um, by being the starting netminder, we knew he was a solid netminder. Everybody knows he's a solid goaltender. He's playing in a very good system in Boston where it helps him shine to his potential, I think. But, yeah, I, I would be like, oh, you know you're only paying me like $2 million next year. Like, I, I want to raise... And obviously that would hurt the Boston Bruins if they had to do that. But I, I would fully be asking for that. And that's where it sucks where hindsight isn't a thing. Because, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to be the backup for the rest of the year. I want to be a backup again, try and win a cup with Boston. Oh, I'm actually the starter. And I got most of the wins in this series to help uh, to help the Boston Bruins go through. Um, but And the other thing I want to mention about this game, the specialty teams. That This is an example of the specialty teams having a fantastic night for the Boston Bruins. I mean, 50% on the power play, 100% on the penalty kill. You cannot ask any more of the specialty teams in this game. It sucks that they didn't score any goals 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, you, you could make the argument that their 5-on-5 five five play wasn't quite there and because um, Carolina got their goal 5-on-5, five five, they kind of, kind of favoured them in some regards. However, if the players are going to take penalties, if the players know how to draw penalties from their opponents, it really does help if you know how to capitalise on them. And the power play has been a little bit up and down for both sides over this series. There, there's like uh, one or two games where both power plays kind of 
kind of scored a couple of goals and there were a couple of shorthanded goals. But this game, the Boston Bruins power play found a way to get it done against Peter Morazic, who was in net for um, the Hurricanes once again. The one thing I do like, though, the Bruins were still blocking shots. They, they, they could have lost this game. They would have been fine. They wanted to shut this series down in five games. So they managed to to block the uh, block the puck more, block shots. Their their penalties have been a lot better. They haven't been taking nearly as many penalties in the last couple of games as they did early in the series. So their their discipline's getting a lot better. The faceoff percentage isn't great for them, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like it's close enough that it isn't too much of a problem. If uh if the Hurricanes were getting say fifty eight to sixty percent of the draws, then I think there'd be way more of a problem. But with guys like Bergeron and Krejci in your lineup, that I don't think that's just going to happen. Um, and the hits were relatively equal. The giveaways were a lot more equal. The takeaways were far more equal. They were exactly equal in this game. And that's something that we've seen over the last couple of games. The Bruins' takeaways have been a little bit um, lackluster for the most part. But yeah, Chris. So in the last two years in the playoffs, the Carolina Hurricanes have won one game against the Boston Bruins. Uh, they didn't win any last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they won one this year. What are your thoughts about this series as a whole? Like, congratulations to the Carolina Hurricanes for giving giving the Bruins a pretty hard-fought series. I mean, every single game, yeah, every every single game of the series was decided by one goal. Which, uh, except for the game three where Halak uh, came in and it was a three-one win for Boston. So four of the five games were decided by a single goal. It just goes to show how strong of a team they were, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we had we had no doubts that um, Boston are obviously a strong side. Um, they obviously just had Carolina's number, but we we know that Carolina are, are a strong side. You have to be a strong side to be in in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're down to the last eight teams now, and you you don't get to that stage without being a strong side. So every game is going to be very tough from now on. Um, we've got a little bit of good news. Um, with regards to the first game again against the Lightning, but that's going to be a really tough series as well. The Lightning, of course, going to be buoyed by the fact that they beat Boston in the placement group. Exactly. And speaking of that game, brilliant segue, Chris. So the next series, round two of the playoffs for the Boston Bruins, will be played against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, obviously, the Lightning played against the Columbus Blue Jackets in round one, had that historic five-overtime game in game one of the series, which then was followed the next day by a double-overtime game for the Bruins and Carolina. So, you know, seven overtimes in, in two days is a pretty impressive feat for the NHL. Uh, just goes to show the parity of the two teams as well, or the, the teams in the league. Um, so this is going to be a fun series. If, if you want me to summarize this quickly, this is going to be a fun series to watch. I mean, you've got the Islanders going up against, oh, who's the other team in the East now, Chris? Uh, you've got the Islanders going Philly. up against, who's that? Sorry. Philly. Oh, I'm trying to remember who it is. Um, Philly. Philly. That's it. Sorry. I couldn't hear you just briefly. So <laughs> yeah. So you've got Philly and, um, you've got Philly and the Islanders going up against each other. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's going to be a boring series. It's going to be so defensively minded. It's going to be so, like, sticking to game plans. No no chance for, you know, like, uh, anything exciting to happen. Whether that's going to happen or not, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I have a feeling this series is going to go one of two ways. Either Halak and Vasilevsky are going to be absolute brick walls, or it's going to be, like, one of the highest scoring series of this year's playoffs. I, I could just imagine this being such a fun series to watch. The Lightning managed to shake off last year's sweep in the first round, where they were basically embarrassed by the in front of the entire hockey world. Boston, of course, like you mentioned, they didn't have the best regular season against Tampa. They didn't play that well against them in the round-robin series either. 
This is going to be fun, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it, it is going to be fun. I mean, even the difference, yes, it was only a couple of weeks ago, but the difference between the playoffs and, and the play placement round is, is going to be so big again that I don't think you can really take too much from, from that game. I mean, it was only 3-2 as well. It's not like Tampa completely blew Boston out the water. Yeah. Um, I think this is another series a bit like the uh, Carolina series. I think the, the Boston Bruins, have, they've got to look to take two games from the first three yeah. um, and, and put themselves up in the series. I, I don't want to be behind chasing a team like, like Tampa particularly because we don't really know when Stamkos is going to come back and they're only going to get stronger when he does. Yeah. Um, so it's it's so important to just try and hit the ground running uh, tonight as we're, as we're recording this. Well, it's tomorrow, 1am for us, but um, t- tonight as we're recording this and yeah, try and, try and take that first game, try and get a bit of a, um, a, a foothold in in the series so yeah i completely agree and uh, like chris alluded to um some good news for the boston bruins in terms of the personnel that they're going up against uh the tampa bay lightning captain steven stamkos is still out with an injury he hasn't actually played so far all um playing all for pretty much the entirety of the um the play, uh, the round robin and the playoffs so their first line center isn't in the lineup. That makes it a little bit easier in terms of matchups for the Boston Bruins. So like Chris mentioned, you kind of need to get the jump on them early because once he does come back, he's going to be ready to go and he might cause a problem for the Bruins. I want this get. I want this series to go seven games. I, th- I think this series is going to go seven games. I think in terms of the, for Bruins fans and Lightning fans, it's going to be a stressful series for either side. Barring any sort of crazy injuries to any more star players, which God forbid that doesn't happen, and barring one team just kind of completely dropping the ball on the other, if, if we see how good these two teams are, if we see both of these teams at their peak, which I think we should do in this series, this is going to be a seven-game series, and I think that's going to benefit the NHL, it's going to benefit the entire hockey world, because we're going to have two of the best teams in the entire National Hockey League at this moment in time, and for pretty much the last couple of years, going up against each other in a seven-game series in round two. Chris, how do you think this series is going to go? Do you think it's going to be less games than seven, or do you think it's going to be a seven-game series? I can see it being seven games. I think for everybody's kind of heart conditions, it would be better if it wasn't seven (laughs) games. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we've got two really strong sides here um that were going tit for tat at the top of the league all year long um and yet yes it's a bit different but you know they both came through their first round matchups um and it is going to be really tough now i think whoever gets through this series is perhaps the most likely to go through to the final Okay. Um, because I think the Islanders have have kind of shocked quite a few people by the way they just completely bowled over Washington. Yeah. In in five games, Philly were given a bit more of a challenge by Montreal, so I can see that one going quite deep as well. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we'll have to kind of look and 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 see how that uh, unfolds. But I think it's definitely going to be six. I think they're all going to be quite 
deep ones now with the potential exception of Vegas, who's just seemed to have come out the gates and won everything. <laughs> yeah, they've they've done pretty well for themselves. They've lost like one game since they entered the bubble or something like that, haven't they? Like, uh, yeah, they they were beat Chicago four one. Yeah, so in the um, first round, and they won all of their placement group games. Yeah, so they've lost one game since entering the bubble. They're what like seven and one, which is a pretty impressive. Uh, Pretty impressive uh, stat to have. And uh, there's been a bit of controversy in Vegas recently in terms of uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent posting a, an interesting photo of Ve- of uh, uh, Fleury basically being stabbed in the back because of the goaltending choices. But that's for the Vegas podcast to talk about on their show. So go and check them out if you want to. Um, but yeah, I-, I think this is going to be a fun series. Chris, before we finish this up, let's make a prediction for tonight's game, obviously. I, I think it's the smart thing to do. We're, once again, this is going to be a back and forth game, and I can see either team taking every single one of these games in this series. If it, I, I could sit here and say, "Oh, I think Boston's going to take game one, then Tampa's going to take game two. It, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if it was the other way around, or one team went up two nothing, and then the other team came and like tied it up two two. I've got to be honest; I think this game's going to go to overtime. Uh, I I feel like game one of the series, both teams are going to come out swinging in this game. There could be a a, a fair number of penalties because these guys like to have their fair share of pushing and shoving after the whistle. Uh, I think think it's going to be a hard-fought series, and I want to see this first game go to overtime. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I was thinking overtime. I'm thinking 3-2 or 4-3 in overtime. Yeah, that that sounds like a pretty fair um, result. I mean, there's only one game... Uh, two games in their last series uh, for the Boston Bruins where the result ended up 4-3 and uh, you could say that the Carolina Hurricanes weren't as deep offensively as a team like Tampa Bay is. So this is going to be such a fun series to watch. I'm actually super excited to talk about this series. Whether Boston win it or not, obviously we want to see Boston win it, but whether they win it or not, this is going to be such a fun series to talk about over the next week or so. But yeah, on that note, I think this is a really good place to end today's episode of Brits on Bruins. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. We hope you have enjoyed the show. If you want to keep updated on all things Brits on Bruins or send us your thoughts, opinions or questions, either from today's show or for our next show, then you can follow us on Twitter at Brits on Bruins. And if you enjoyed listening to either or both of your hosts today, then you can follow myself on Twitter at OddmanRushYT or Chris at Chris underscore Gadsby. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you again next time. Have a good one, folks.